0: Welcome to Arts Alive, focusing on the working artists of California's Central Coast. I'm your host, Brian Asher Alhadeff. Joining me in the studio today is Teresa Slobodnik, who is the Artistic Director of Ballet Theatre San Luis Obispo. Her professional credits include collaborations with Civic Ballet San Luis Obispo, Opera San Luis Obispo, the San Luis Obispo Master Chorale, and the Gilbert Reed Ballet, among many others. Many of us are also familiar with Miss Slobodnik's original ballets, which include Robin Hood, The Velveteen Rabbit, Undine, and The Snow Queen, to name just a few. Hi, Teresa.
1: Hi, Brian. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here today. Tell us a little bit about how long you've lived on the Central Coast and your journey here in this beautiful area of California.
1: Absolutely. My husband went to Cal Poly in architectural design back in, the, I think, 1969. We were married in 1974, and so we moved here. He was finishing his degree. Um, it's been an incredible transition At first, I wasn't real happy about it, having lived in the Bay Area all my life, but I fell in love with it, and it really suited me, all of the outdoors, surfing, rock climbing, et cetera, and the arts community, the dance.
0: Wow, that's that's really exciting. Now, have you always been involved in dance from the moment you came to the Central Coast?
1: Yes. That was one of the first things I did when I moved here was I found a little tiny studio across the railroad tracks Called Ren- Renee and Lamar, and it was the first dance studio in San Luis Obispo. And her, uh, this woman Renee Trainer and her husband, had been what they called adagio, uh, adagio, air, like big lifts and adagio ballroom dancers. And she was a tiny little thing, and she was a killer tapper. Wow. <laughs> she was just a killer tapper. And her mother lived with her. Her husband had passed away, and the studio was in their home, and her mother was a wing walker.
0: Oh, my goodness. What is a wing walker?
1: A wing walker is someone who walks the wings of airplanes in flight. Oh, <laughs> an, an
0: acro, so if, an, an acrobat of some sort. A, a wing like walker. Like we've seen in, in the old... Uh, <laughs> Like the yes. bi- on the, the biplane? Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, her name was Clara Flynn.
0: So she was a real daredevil.
1: Yes, and, and they were both pistols. And, and you took over
0: that studio.
1: No, I did not. I studied ballet with uh, a wonderful woman who is still with us, Eunice Pierce, mm-hmm. and she was a wonderful teacher. I also studied with Mary Cowden Snyder, who was here for three years, and I made a transition to the Academy of Dance with Lori Lee Salvaggio. I met Gilbert Reed and found my mentor.
0: That's right. When we've worked together, you've often referred to Gilbert Reed. He's definitely been a very vital part of your life. And Tell us a little bit about how that relationship works. Um, Oftentimes, when I uh, see a production of yours, it says choreography by Gilbert Reed. However, Gilbert's not part of the show any longer is he?
1: No, he he was when I started setting his work on uh Ballet Theater San Luis Obispo and he is so generous and he is a master choreographer. He was able to come to the studio and coach and you know give notes and everything. It was my job to set it and then he, you know, was so generous to come in and coach the dancers in the leads and and even in the core it was such a wonderful experience for them um he and his wife are you know not able to do that anymore but he's still very invested in me and i just feel so fortunate to have that mentorship that's
0: really exciting tell us a little bit about how you actually go about these days selecting repertoire do you have personal rules of interpretation how does your creative license come into that process
1: Well, the first thing I do, and I am a person of faith, is I pray. (laughs) Okay, God, if it's not you, I'm not doing it, you know, so show me what to do. I really look at the dancers that I have at the time. You know, it's the old, you can't put a square peg into a round hole, you know. So you really, you know, I look at my dancers, I look at their gifts, I look at how many dancers I have, I look at what would be the best for them, and for our audience. So there's so many things about how I select repertoire. And obviously, the climate that we're in with COVID, we've had to completely redo how we're approaching work. So, and then my rules of interpretation are pretty much, here's my big rule, honesty. You know, if I'm interpreting a piece of literature or poetry or music, um, music that has lyrics, I really want to be honest with the goal of, and this is why we're ballet theater, reaching the audience with our humanity and connecting with them. If we don't connect with them, in my opinion, what we're doing doesn't really matter.
0: That's great. It's very, very important stuff there. So on those lines, how do you manage to improve the quality of your creative work? I, I understand a lot of times you'll reset something. Uh, or, so there's there's the act of creating something for the very first time. And then there's the act of restaging, resetting a piece. Um, but within that, there's always the opportunity to improve on your work. When do you know it's ready for the public to see?
1: Well, you're right. There's always room for improvement, you know, and I do all the research. When I'm creating a piece, I do all the research I can. I look at the history of what I'm doing, if there is history or the humanity of it, the music I'm researching. Uh, If it's literature, I spend a lot of time in that piece of literature, really listening to the author's voice and what they were intending. Of course, it's my own interpretation when push comes to shove. But for choreography, I have a very diverse past folk dancing, modern, um, tap, jazz, you know, primarily ballet, but I, I have so many tools to glean from, and my teachers and uh, you know all my mentors that have been with me through the years. So I glean from everything I've learned from them, and then, as Gilbert Reed would always say, it has to be your own voice. It's like a composer; it has to be your own voice. So I just go for it.
0: And that voice must be very challenging to express during these times of, of COVID and 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 pandemic. What has has that sort of affected your connection to culture and society, and how uh, how are you how are you how are you dealing with <laughs> what we're going through as an artist?
1: Well, as an artist, as we all know, it's been quite tumultuous. Um, performing artists, I'm referring to, and. Uh, you know exactly, all of us have been, basically, we lost something very, very precious. And we're all really feeling that. And it's made us really appreciate, I think, what we do even more. So it's been a very, uh, tumultuous is the only word I can use, tumultuous year, politically, personally, economically, everything. And so There was so much material, (laughs) you know, and, um, we just did, um, our annual fundraiser. We did virtually, we made a film and I just felt compelled to use a piece of music, um, you know, that expressed civil rights. And it was John Legend and Common's glory. And, oh my gosh, what an amazing song and what a piece. And I don't normally choreograph to music with words.
0: Or for film.
1: Or for film. And that was, that was very challenging too, because it's a completely different bag of beans. And usually we're filming in a proscenium theater. So we had another one of our um, wonderful adult dancers, her husband has been experimenting with film, Micah Ponte. And so he brought in, I don't even know the name of it. You walk around with it. Um, and it bal- the camera balances itself. <laughs> Maybe somebody else, I'm so not touched. Yeah, Sally. I think it
0: has the word gyro in it. but Something,
1: uh, yeah. And his filming, in addition with my husband's filming, so he came out with a really nice product. And then um, another piece of music that I just worked with was Dolly Parton's Light of a Clear Blue Morning that is such a song of hope. And I had wanted to do um, uh, an arrangement that actually... Concord Chorus formerly North County Chorus had done and my daughter actually was a soloist and it was more of a of a deep south spiritual with that wail of it's been a long hard night but I've been waiting for the dawn and so I did find um uh an arrangement of it by the Waylon a acapella
0: and how would our listening audience uh, be able to experience that for those of us that are listening to us in front of a computer it, right now. <laughs> right, it's
1: it's actually on the btslo.org website. So it's bt-slo.org. It's on our website. The button's still up um, on the website for our annual fundraiser. You can just view it. And it was just it was just really a beautiful experience. Uh, my colleague Katie Schofield helped choreograph Glory and she actually choreographed a piece to it, a piece, another piece and so we just, you know, artists have to be creative. That's sort of the you know, the caveat. You have to be creative.
0: Absolutely. The, the pandemic couldn't have hurt a larger crowd, but it also couldn't have uh, uh, reached the right crowd better than artists. I mean, how do we take what's happened and exactly. sort of do what we do, which is make art about it? Exactly yeah how what is what's uh, in store for your future now? Uh, we're still we're seeing the end of the light of of the pandemic, hopefully, but there's still several months. um how How does that look on the horizon for?
1: There are several things in the works right now where um you know, we were our school has survived, which has been challenging for all dance schools because of the shutdowns. Um, we've all somehow made a way to survive, <laughs> and so that's exciting. Um, we did do a holiday showcase, and now we're working on a showcase for the spring for the school. So that's all of our students, and we're also working on a company uh, performance, a uh, BTSLO performing company, which both of those performances will be filmed. So. Oh, exciting. Yeah, and they'll be available you know, on our website and things like that, but... It's, it's challenging in a different way. In some ways, it's easier. You know, you're not, you, you can't have all the big props. You can't have all the this and that. But in another way, it's challenging because film is not live theater. And that's what all of us in the performing arts absolutely crave is that audience right. connection. You know.
0: It's difficult to look at the sterile, cold blackness of a film lens and and have that same energy that comes back to us which we're so used to I mean it's a a give and take when when we sing to you you watch us and that that's a share in energy and you um, feel it we feel it exactly um yeah that's very exciting let me ask you Teresa what words of wisdom would you have of encouragement for young people seeking a career in your area of specialization and so for for our conversation you're a dancer you're you're a choreographer you own a company so there's a lot and i'm sure tell tell me what else i'm missing what is the picture of teresa Slobodnik, and how does somebody get to be like you
1: oh my goodness um well first the first thing when i thought about this question i thought this job is so diverse and so um consuming is pretty much the only word i can say because as Uh, The type of art that this takes, it consumes your mind. It consumes your soul, your time, everything. So you really want to have had a personal experience with this art form that was so compelling that it's something that you literally cannot live without. I mean, I, I tried to not dance at the beginning of the pandemic for like, three weeks and it wasn't good I was not good and so I started giving myself class but beyond that I think you have to have a personal experience which motivates you to crave more and more I never saw myself doing this I was the dancer I was always the dancer and then when I retired from performing through various circumstances at 48 I went hmm my, you know, I was teaching, my dancers need something to do. And out of everything that had been invested in me came what I'm doing now, but I never saw myself doing what I'm doing.
0: So for most of us listening, the idea of retiring at 48 is, is very young, but that's maybe even around average for a dancer. Maybe even later, later as well. What is it and and I'm sure growing up as a dancer, you became aware of that tradition very, very uh, early on. So as you were a young person dancing, did you ever see that as a possible future? Well, like, listen, I'm going to be 48 someday or 40 maybe even, and I might not be able to dance anymore. What's the next step for dancers when their body has to slow down? Well, I'm, dancing?
1: I'm 65 now. So at that point, no one thought of that. You just danced and then the chips fell where they did when you stopped. <laughs> and now dancers are, almost all professional dancers continue their academic education. Um, they, they have to. They have to have a second career planned. Mm-hmm. The dancing is so strenuous um, that your career is not normally as long as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the art form has progressed so much. So and Maybe
0: that's because there's more options now available when dancing is n- no longer a focal point.
1: That's true. And there's so, there so many options within the art form itself. You know, um, you can get into arts management, nonprofits. There's, it just goes on. A lot of dancers get into physical therapy because they've had so uh-huh, much of sure. it. But they study it, they love it, and they love being able to help other people, dancers primarily. I
0: can't think of the gentleman's name, but the man who plays Drosselmeyer every year, uh, he's, he's a physical therapist here in, uh-huh. in San Luis Obispo. And i, I when he's not uh, making magic on the stage, he's usually got his um, table on the back and he's helping dancers. Right.
1: <laughs> so, I okay. mean, right now I have two dancers that danced extensively for me and my company. One is getting her doctorate in physical therapy. The other one already did, you know? Yeah. And so it, it, that's a big option for dancers. A lot of them go into, uh, the legal aspects of, you know, company management and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of options for dancers that are dance related, or you might just be, I know a lot of dancers that have gone into, gourmet food. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, I think so. What I'm sort of hearing is the important message to young dancers is go as far as you can as a dancer, but make sure you always keep that education component
1: Absolutely. operational. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, back in the day, people toured. I mean, so many companies toured. And that, even before the pandemic, was not happening You know, back in the 60s, 70s, American Ballet Theater, man, you waited for that tour. I mean, Oakland Ballet. Oakland Ballet was not a huge company. They toured, you know, like they had like a 50-week tour or something. I mean, it was crazy. And that went all the way into the mid-90s. And that doesn't happen anymore.
0: One final question, Teresa. Looking into the future, a non-pandemic, free society once more where we're able to communicate in live in live uh, time with with audience members, what are your what are your dreams the next five years of Valley Theater? Slow and your goals, and let the sky be absolutely be uh, open. <laughs> I love for the your sky.
1: <laughs> I would love to bring several of my big 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 ballets. You know, you mentioned earlier as we were chatting, Coppelia. I yeah. would love, and it's my version, my choreography of Coppelia with some of the traditional. Um, I have. Undine, which I would love to remount and, as you were talking earlier, fix some of the things that I wasn't really happy with. Um, I just, I really would like to create new big work. I would like to just get back into a proscenium theater with, you know, you walk into the theater when you're used to being in the theater and you just take that deep breath and just go, ah, this is, this is so, it's such a privilege to be here. And uh-huh. to, to have this, you know, ability to connect with people, your dancers, the audience, and just make something that's so memorable. And that's, for me, the human experience. You, you understand cultures, you understand characters. It's just such an enriching experience.
0: Oh, that's that's a really exciting answer. And I guess I do have one final question, even even further final. You're stranded on an abandoned island with an opera house and a seventy person orchestra, and the powers that be come down and they say, Teresa, we can only give the orchestra one score. What ballet score is that gonna be for your core on this deserted island?
1: I would say probably Copelia. Yes. <laughs> <I love laughs> it's that just so engaging. It's so beautiful and so engaging. Wonderful. Thank yeah, you so man. much. That's, that's just a
0: great answer, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy that. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Teresa Slobodnik from Ballet Theater San Luis Obispo. We're excited to see where you'll be dancing in the next five years and beyond. If you found this content insightful, please subscribe and review on your preferred podcast platform. Funded by The Arts Collaborative, this podcast was produced on-site at the studios of the San Luis Obispo County Office of Education. For more information, visit us at www.slocalarch.org. That's S-L-O-C-O-E-A-R-T-S
1: dot org.